Are you suffering from back pain? Well, I've got the thing just for you. 15 surefire tips for relieving back pain, plus 192 others just in case, volume 1, available at Amazon.com. Over 30 million Americans are suffering with back pain at this very moment. The vast majority of these cases are either caused or exacerbated by common lifestyle factors. Many of the same factors may be causing you pain right now. Join board-certified physician Andrew Kirshner as he guides you through the parts of your life where these problems occur and gives you simple, safe and effective solutions for these common daily pitfalls. In this fun and informative book, you will learn how to identify the aspects of your life which may be causing you pain, how to create a back-friendly environment, how you can improve your pain by improving your sleep, ways to make a pain-free commute, how you can perform daily activities without making your pain worse, and much more. Andrew Kirshner is so well respected in the field of back pain relief. He has you know, famous clients such as DJ Jazzy Jeff. He has done uh, many talks and lectures at universities in the UK. He has appeared on QVC demonstrating back pain relief products and that is because he is an expert in his field and people trust him. Also check out the 5 star reviews on Amazon.com. This is the book that you need if you suffer from back pain. That's 15 surefire tips for relieving back pain plus 192 others just in case volume 1 available at Amazon.com in paperback. Check the link below the show for more information. Just when you thought that there were already too many podcasts in the world. Here comes another one. Daring death of mystery, champion of right, swoops out of the shadows, dark wing of the night. Somewhere some villain schemes, but his numbers up. Three, two, one. Come around here with his bloody podcasts. Hey kids, welcome to another episode of Pablo's Poppin' Podcast. I hope everyone's having a good week. Um, I'm doing this on the morning of us leaving the European Union. Um, This has never really been a political show in the sense that... I mean, it's political in terms of I talk about my life um, and all of the things that I'm going through with HMRC and everything. But um, I think we'll, we'll... I mean, this immediately affect me um and i'll go into that a little bit but um i think if you want me to talk about it then let's talk about it but i think i should get a guest on who kind of you know i can kind of have a conversation with or you can ask questions or you know i mean 
it's more entertainment show really than uh, talking about politics but if it's a thing that you know a lot of people would like to hear then we'll talk about it we'll talk about it i want this to be almost like a bit of relief from from all of the bullshit that's going on at the moment um but there are some serious matters ahead um, with regards to the podcast and with regards to my life my self-employment etc um I have launched a Kickstarter for a 10-inch vinyl release of Four Play, the last, the the pre, oh, well, the last Toxic Melons uh, release. Um, it features Roger Joseph Manning Jr. on lead vocals. He's never done lead vocals for an outside project before, and has Eric Dover on guitar along with a plethora of um, a plethora, plethora, plethora. No whatever uh, a lot of uh, friends very talented friends who helped make the EP something pretty cool uh, the link to the Kickstarter is underneath this show please please check it out um, I really need this Kickstarter to work I never really you know I know I advertise a lot of stuff that I do but like I've never kind of been in I suppose a bit of a desperate situation um, we have 45 days to raise three thousand pounds it's quite ambitious um, but the £3,000 is there to cover a lot of postage and, you know, with the arse dropping out of the pound, um, you know, the uh, hopefully, especially Americans, will be able to maybe contribute a little bit more if you would like to, you know, because obviously you don't have to really spend as much now to get the, to get some of the uh, perks, which includes the vinyl signed by Roger and Eric, which I think is a pretty cool thing. Um... I need this to work, like I say. Um, I have a tribunal coming up for my working tax credits. It got adjourned for six weeks. Um, and it, the, I, I believe I'm right, basically. I'm not going to go too much into it. I probably will after the tribunal, because, you know, if you're a friend, you already know all of this crap. Uh, but what I want to do is almost, well, I want to help people in my position if they are a musician or an artist who are struggling to get working tax credit look i can't legally give i can't give legal advice um but if i can sort of help structure your argument or whatever just get in touch because i would hate for everyone to or anyone to really go through what i've had to go through um basically you know i i, I have a student overdraft as a lot of us did um and the interest starts accruing on that quite soon and look I'm not using this Kickstarter to pay off debt I'm using it to get a product made up but then I can sell the product and then hopefully start to pay off my debt with something that I've done that's the point of my self-employment um, and I'm hoping that you know I'm, I'm reaching out to uh, the jellyfish uh, group that I run, the Joining a Fan page, there was 2,000 members on there. I'm hoping that, you know, they are my audience with this, really. I mean, it's power pop, it's unsigned music, and I'm hoping people would take uh, some notice of it because of that. But, um, you know, the, especially the jellyfish fans, like, if, if, if I can, if I've made an EP with Roger on vocals, with Ant with Eric on guitar, not Andy. <laughs> I would love to get Andy involved, obviously. Um, and if I can't make that appeal to my audience, then I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And, uh, you know, that includes the future of this podcast as well, because, okay, I've got sponsors, and it's, uh, you know, they help pay the bills, but I just need to look at different parts of my life and... Um, you know, I don't want to give up self-employment. I don't want to give up my dreams. But, I, you know, if HMRC's aim was to just beat 
the the life and the hope and the aspirations out of me they're doing quite a good job <laughs> um so yeah um and it, it actually leads in quite nicely to today's guest um he goes by the name ed surname um and over the course of 20 years he filmed his life as an uh, as, as an aspiring comedian, and all of this footage became amazing material to help make a documentary. This isn't a mockumentary. This is all real footage um, about someone who you know sacrificed a hell of a lot, and um, it's it's taken twenty years, but uh, you know it was a grand jury nominated documentary. Um, it's had amazing reviews from you know very big platforms and it's starting to do something now and more than anything it is fucking hilarious um i'm gonna post a link to his website where there was a link to the trailer you know this is something that a lot of artists i mean they will identify with they will empathize with um they will see you know they will see a lot of this in themselves and they will laugh it is so funny um you know i haven't even seen the full film yet but i mean it, the, the talk that i have with ed um which i think we're just two people who understand each other <laughs> so it goes into a lot of uh, different areas of self-employment unemployment you know um so yeah i think this is this is definitely a one for the aspiring artist who's ready to just give up on everything because uh, you know um at this point i feel like i'm ready to just give up but um hopefully it won't get that bad um Obviously, I want you to check out the Kickstarter. The, like I say, there's a link below. There's a video with a message from Roger and a message from me that fully explains what you will get if you pledge. Um, you know, I, I hate, I'm not just asking for money here. I'm not. Um, but there is there's a uh, there's that green patron button at the top of the page. I never really expected anyone to play or donate for that because you get nothing in return. I mean, you can become a show sponsor, and I'm hoping someone takes me up on that. But um, you know, I, I've always said I'd rather you check out my music at toxicmelons.bandcamp.com. Um, but in this very specific case, and for the next forty or so days, I really need you to check out the uh, the Kickstarter, and ho hopefully, there's something that you will like in there. I mean, you can get my entire back catalogue for five pounds. Um, you know, that's that's unprecedented for my you know my music um, because it's all available on Bandcamp at set prices. So that is the cheapest thing that you can get. Um, but you can also, like I say, you can buy the EP, you can buy it signed. Um, there are some other perks on there. I wanted to keep it quite simple, but um, yeah, I, and I, I can't make any apologies for really pushing this over the next few weeks. At, you know, and really not, you know, because I always try and uh, you know give other bands a platform and stuff like that. But I need, I need this to work. I need this to work. And if you're a fan of the show, we're 21 episodes in. You know, I've done this for free for 21 weeks. I've provided you, hopefully, with some entertainment, uh, with some good guests. You know, reunited Imperial Drag for an interview. I hope that, if nothing else, you appreciate that enough to at least check out the Kickstarter and, you know, give it. You know, if you can't donate, I I'm, I don't hold that against anyone. You know, people are broke. People are broke. Um, but share it. Let anyone know. You know, if anyone is interested. You know, I'm. 
I am. This is the the epitome of a one-man self-promotion campaign here. Um, ideally, I would like other stations to play the music, etc. But like you know, realistically, from the past, doing a ton of promo on small levels doesn't lead to you know reviews. I always appreciate them. Radio play, I always appreciate them. But unless I get played on Radio One, you know what I mean? It's a, it 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 just doesn't yield results. It just doesn't. So this is just this is just one person talking to you, one person. You know, I don't talk to you as if you're a massive audience, really. I'm talking to the individual person listening to this. And I hope, like I say, I just hope that you um, are prepared to just click on the link and just check it out. It'll take a few minutes of your time. Um, so, yes, speaking of the EP, um, I'm going to play you a song from the EP called Shotgun which features Eric Dover on guitar, which features, you know, some amazing vocalists, uh, Paul Cla Paul Emmett, Megan Clancy, uh, Dom Hornsby on drums, me on guitar, um, Alex Shepard on uh, keyboards. Um, so yeah, uh, check it out, and then we'll be going straight into And look, this isn't all doom and gloom. Uh, <laughs> I just feel like it a bit at the moment. Um, you know, the interview is very, very funny, I think. You know, um, it was very enjoyable. I hope to have him on again a lot more. So yes, uh, this is Shotgun from 4Play, available via the Kickstarter at the link below, and then we'll be going straight into my interview with Ed Cerny. Time waiting for you to get ready so I can continue to live the rest of my life without any worries and no need for sorries. But you keep holding me back because you are frightened of what may be. When you tell me a lie, it's easy for me to see through you because you're so predictable. You say you've nothing to hide, but when I ask you what's wrong, it's the same dancing song If you don't like what we have I'd rather you tell me Than leave me on I can read all the signs Our love's just a pantomime I don't want you to leave me But it's for
Now, if there's one thing I admire, it's someone who is a stubborn bastard when it comes to following their dreams. My guest, Ed Surname, videotaped his journey as an aspiring comedian over the course of 20 years on over 10,000 videotapes. That probably included a lot of trips to Poundland. The result, a 118-minute insight into the very real and honest but ridiculous, ridiculously hilarious trials and tribulations of sacrificing everything in the name of pursuing artistic ambition. His grand jury-nominated film, Unsolicited Material, is showing at Camden Fringe Festival, not Fridge, as autocorrectors change it to, in August. I have Ed's surname with me today. How are you doing? Hello, I'm very well, thank you. Awesome. Um... What happened was, I, I sort of, you know, I, when doing research, you know, you've uh, given me the links to uh, the trailer, which I loved. It is hilarious. Like, I, very rarely have I been sort of swayed to watch a film based on the trailer so easily. Um, and partly pro uh, because I identify with it so much. Uh, but there, there is a link on there to uh, an interview that you did at the London IFF. And the bastard asked a lot of my questions. So <laughs> I want to try and sort of ask you some uh, questions from the artist's uh, point of view um, yeah okay well that would that would be good I, I think that the project really relates the most of all to fellow artists even though I have sort of made it accessible to the general public mm -hmm. uh, fellow artists uh, from my experience from the people that I've showed it to and the feedback I've got fellow artists such as yourself do um, sort of relate to it on another level and enjoy it in a way that the general public probably uh, won't be able to relate to, if you know what I mean. So, yeah, you'll probably ask different questions to him anyway, really. Awesome. Yeah, am I the first person to interview you who hasn't seen anything but the trailer? No, that's not true. Uh, the, I've had about, sort of, well, five interviews or so uh, based off the trailer. And the reason is there's so much to talk about uh, with the project in general because it lasted over 20 years that uh, we can talk about the project and sort of the practicalities of that. Mm -hmm. And it's just that the films come from the end of it, really. That was the end result. Well, what were those interviews like? Did they get what you were trying to do or did they understand, you know, that, that it was, you know, it, there is a result to this, you know, the, the film, but it wasn't like you were sort of, uh, you know, what you were trying to do was become a stand-up comedian or, you know, um, explore whether becoming a stand-up comedian would be worth it for the, you know, the sacrifices and stuff like that. Were there any sort of... Uh, misunderstandings about what the film was about with these interviews yeah i think i mean the reason i like the interviews is it gives me a chance to clear up any misunderstandings because the trailer throws up a lot of questions the first thing that people think is is it a mockumentary and yeah. i can assure you that it, it isn't a mockumentary i genuinely did start filming my life 20 years ago 24 7 legitimately but as you point out the film wasn't ever the end goal I only started filming because I thought my family were really funny. So I wanted to I wanted to create, like, I was always into comedy, but even at a, at a young age, I realised that if I went into stand-up comedy, the humour that I get from watching my nan and my dad on a daily basis wouldn't be able to translate to stand-up. Me just standing on a stage with a microphone uh, saying what had happened would never be as funny as people being able to actually watch what happened. So I started filming everything, and this was obviously years before everybody had a camera in their pocket. Hmm. And then I tried to make that into a sort of uh, documentary sitcom hybrid, and I put uh, episodes of Laugh or Cry TV up on the internet, and that really spiralled out into lots of other things, like a radio show and, uh, and eventually me starting stand-up. So 20 years later, I find myself with all of this footage, and uh, if there's anything I do want to clear up in the interviews, 
uh, which tend to be focused on the practicalities of doing it rather than what the appeal of the film is, mm. uh, is that I want to clear up the the appeal of this film isn't come and watch some nutter who's filmed himself <laughs> for 20 years. The appeal of the film, uh, I think, is there's somebody who has 20 years of footage at his disposal to be able to look inside the mind of a comedian and look at why somebody wants to perform. So it's my real life. It's edited satirically um, into a satire on the mind of a comedian. So were there any... I mean, we've got to be talking, what, 1994, 95 when you started recording? It was like 95, yeah. 95. So what... Because obviously now with social media and you know no one's private anymore you know everyone wants to sh everyone wants to show literally everything they're doing and I, I never really understand it unless you have something to promote like i don't get you know sort of people who post baby pictures all the time and you know but a part of me as a as a artist you know i get really jealous that they get like 100 likes because you know <laughs> they do something like you know have a baby or get married or something like that where it's like well come on i'm showing you some art here i'm not showing you some bullshit picture of a child or you know <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, so. i'm so i'm so glad that you've said that because i think exactly the same people will put up sort of a picture of a you know a tree that they've seen on holiday <laughs> and it's like 63 people liking it sharing it. i'm thinking what like well, I it's it's a horrible <laughs> form of acceptance now as well that you know I, I you know i'm i'm doing a kickstarter at the moment and it's just really annoying when you you know, it, it getting lots of likes is kind of like you know it's about as useless as having a ton of monopoly money, basically. But yeah, you know, back, <laughs> yeah. sort of back in the mid nineties, I suppose you know, the, I mean, ninety five is the year when the internet started, so obviously none of this had uh, come about at the time. But did you? What was your influence to start doing the video blog? Was there uh, was there a particular show? Or I mean, there weren't even there weren't even really video blogs, really, because I suppose you had no nowhere to upload them at the time. Um, no, no, I didn't. I mean, I, I was doing it for myself to show my friends and family, first of all. And um, on the contrary, I didn't have any influences specifically because I always wanted to do something that had never been done before in comedy. I knew that much. I didn't think in 20 years I'm going to make this film, but I wanted to do something that had never been done before in comedy. And so really the influences were non-existent, apart from just seeing my family being quite funny. Yeah. Um, I only... I was obsessed with watching comedy and I wanted to do it, but I never really thought that I could or never had any plans to do that. The only reason it became sort of pigeonholed into comedy is because when I tried to explain to people what the show was, when I edited some episodes together, mm. um, was I had to sort of say, well, it's a real life comedy show. And they say, well, what, are you a comedian? And I had to say, well, um, yes, you know, <laughs> after, after, some, after some instances of saying no, and then they sort of didn't get what it was, mm. it became easier to promote it as um, this is this is something that a comedian's produced, which, of course, it, it's true that it is now because I've gone into that sort of area. Um, yeah, so, I mean, you couldn't predict that any of this stuff with the internet would happen. So in one way, it's fortunate for me because I had a platform. In other ways, it's unfortunate because really, um, like you say, everybody shares everything now, and that's why I've tried to um, put a, a narrative thread through the film which looks in a quite deep, non-funny way at why people would feel compelled to do that anyway so that's sort of my that's my one step further than everyone sharing everything i do that and then i look at why somebody would want to do it 
Well, you also have the advantage of starting in the mid-90s as well in terms of, you know, we are so retrospective now and we love to, you know, it's got to the point where the 90s is sort of like this, almost like this mythical sort of thing that we look back on with fondness and everything. Um, so, I mean, even to someone who, you know, if anyone is interested in just seeing the film, there's also that kind of, you know, fun of seeing just things evolve as well. Um, I know. So, I mean, you know, looking back on it now, I mean, are there any sort of, like, huge 90s references? Like, are you at home watching, you know, uh, Noel's House Party or something like that? Or... <laughs> um, I have to say, although footage does exist on the planet of me watching Noel's House Party, that, is, that isn't in the end project. I've tried to not make any um, references or to make it be topical to anything ever at all because I want it to exist in its own little world. Um uh, the other thing you mentioned about when people put up photos of babies and they get lots of likes. Yeah. The other thing that annoys me is when people will put something up that's a topical joke and everyone will love it. And I think to myself, but in, in two weeks that will be outdated, you know, and I like to think that all of my stuff isn't at all. So there's no references um, to anything outside of my own world, if that makes sense. Yeah, I get that, yeah. Um, so, I mean, the germ of the film came from uh, a sitcom that you had devised where you play a deluded video blogger who interacts with the public. So, yes. I, I, um, at what did, I mean, was it almost immediately where you realised that that wasn't working? I mean, did you sh shop it around to uh, TV channels, etc.? Or... Yeah, I mean, it did, it's, um, it did work, and it didn't work it depends how you judge it really i mean I, the millions haven't rolled in yet from it and so judging it by that i have it hasn't worked but it did work the, the episodes still exist um that for cry tv it's like me i've never been accused of having common sense and so with the volume <laughs> turned up on my character um i had no common sense at all so an example would be like going out into the real public on a real day in a real bed shop and then sort of taking all my clothes off, sleeping in the bed shop, thinking it's acceptable. And then the humour would come, not so much from the silly act itself, but the people's reaction, you know. Mm -hmm. um, oh, see, as well, though, when I talk about something being a success or not a success, I, I very rarely mean uh, sort of, you know, by how much money is made from it, because as an artist myself, you know, everything, it, you know, success is relative, really, and success has to start with whether you are creatively fulfilled by it, and I suppose then from there, it's whether other people like it or something like that, because I suppose you don't want to put anything out into the world that you are not, you know, happy with sort of thing. No, that's the thing. I mean, every single thing, people could sort of watch my stuff and say whatever they liked about it, say they didn't like it, say they did like it. But one thing that can't be denied is that every single frame is exactly how I want it. And you touch upon looking at whether things, uh, looking at the, the role of money hmm. in success. Um, when I was doing this show, I was often asked by people that were close to me who didn't really understand any of it, they said, you know, well, how much, how, much, how much do you get from this job? You know, uh, and they just had normal jobs and they'd be saying, how much do you get from this? And I was, would always say, like, I don't know, because there's not a creative satisfaction button on this calculator. Yeah. You know, that that's they don't get any creative satisfaction from their jobs. Yet you find people sort of knock you down for following something um, artistic, you know, and creative. Yeah. Um, and that's another thing that the film looks at. There's various threads to it. There's probably about 10. Uh, things that it looks at and one of them is the role of money in not only success but also the role of money in happiness because for a long time i was obsessed with thinking that 
the amount of likes you got or the amount of pounds in your bank was uh, what gave you, so say, success. Hmm. So, I mean, over the course of 20 years, and I mean, I, you are obviously a very open and honest person, and I'm sort of asking questions from my point of view as someone who's like, you know, spent the last 10 years to really try and make a go of what I do as well. Um, did did you just work jobs during that time, or did you sign on, or, you know, was it like, at the time with the family, you know, cause I understand, you know, one of the worst things that people say to me are, there's no money in what you're doing, and I'm like, well... I, there kind of is money in what I'm doing, but it's kind of it's not the main reason I'm doing it. But the um, I think I'm I don't know if I'm wording this very well. So I mean I mean were you under pressure to basically make money sort of thing and get a job etc. Yeah, it started as fun, the project. Yeah, and then as I grew up, met my wife, and wanted a family with her, um, I was really I'd back myself into a corner where the project absolutely had to pay off hmm. because I had 10 years of nothing on my CV. I was, I was signing on and yeah. my family were helping me because my family believed in it and I had no savings. And so really, like you say, there is money in it, but it's sort of like, uh, there's a glass ceiling, isn't there? Like for the longest time, you could not be paid. All of a sudden, I've seen people be picked up by agents or whatever. And overnight, literally, yeah. they've got close to a million pounds overnight. Literally, I'm not even exaggerating. I know people that have done that or I know of people where that's happened, you know, in the similar circles. And so, um, yeah, I really had pressured myself into needing it to pay off practically to live. I had no choice. I had nothing on my CV. I pursued this at the cost of everything else. And so the choice was, do I go and get a normal job that pays six pounds an hour and try and start again at a late age in life? Or do I carry on and hope that all of these good signs where it looks like the TV deals around the corner, where it looks like a radio deals around the corner, where I have got deals here, there and everywhere, but they haven't paid off quite yet. Do I continue doing that and just hope for the best? And that dilemma really threw my whole life into disarray because it delayed having a family and delayed talks about having a family and all of that and that is the I, I would say that that's sort of the jeopardy in the film you know hmm. I mean did you over the course of 20 years especially when um, you know you found your girlfriend etc did you feel that you were becoming more selfish or did you feel that other people found you to be selfish because you were following your dreams to such a to such a high level yeah, I really did. I mean, the I look back and sort of cringe at a lot of my behaviour. I mean, even still now, um, it is. I I think that most performers and people that want to do things like this, particularly in comedy, there is a very sort of selfish streak to them, and it's sort of like a a, a kid that hasn't grown up at a at a birthday party saying look at me look at me look at me you know and it, i just wondered like why as an adult would that have not been ironed out of any personality <laughs> and so that's what i was sort of looking at in myself um but yes to be honest i mean i look back and i think myself that i was very selfish and um but bizarrely uh, a lot of times like say if i've fallen out with a friend or whatever i i do have it on tape and so uh, i was sort of in a weird position that no other human that i've ever heard about was in yeah. Well, I've been able to look back on the moment. I've been able to watch the moment and think, well, that was that was me that caused that. And it's sort of given me a different perspective on things. And, and I've remembered them differently to how they actually happened. So really, I, the project caused a lot of fallouts. 
but the fact that I had it on tape was able to um, facilitate a lot of the friendships coming back together because I realised how it had been me that had caused the problems. Mm-hmm. And without giving too much away about the film, um, I, I assume that you weren't afraid to uh, put yourself in a bad light by using some of that footage uh, to you know to help tell the story and really make it as honest as possible because you know it, it is it's a you know uh, f- again following your dreams to that level there's an amount of stubbornness and you know um, a point where you probably you know I, I've been through it where you're sort of like almost not offending your family but really upsetting them because you know it's like it's almost like a, an illness to a point where you just can't not do it sort of thing and you know it, not... it is like an illness yeah. yeah there's nothing on the nhs for it <laughs> at all you know not in my experience um no you're right uh there's all of that in there and it looks at all of that yeah and um yeah it's very true but the thing is because they were so supportive in a way it made it harder for me to stop if they, i suppose if they had been saying look can you just stop this now I might have done it. So yeah. as this is coming out of my mouth, I'm realizing I'm sort of putting the blame on them, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, it was that, they, were, they were very supportive. and um, But it, the whole thing was just prolonged as a result, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, when this is just, uh, you know, uh, I'm very interested by this because, um, you know, if I if I never have to sign on ever again, I'll be I'll be quite happy. Um, so, what was it like when you signed on? Like, were they aware of what you were doing? Did you bring your camera to the job center? <laughs> yeah, well, a lot of the time, uh, if I if I had my camera um, at times when they don't like you filming, I was always able to put it in my pocket. Oh. And I had a backup camera that would always record audio. Brilliant. But it's not the the film isn't sort of two hours of just a camera <laughs> in my pocket. No. Not I, mean. but, um, no, I like. I mean, the experience of going to the job centre I quite liked because I sort of took it in my deluded mind. I took it as that I was being asked for an autograph every two weeks. <laughs> See, <laughs> so I, was, I, I saw it as a chance to you know test my bullshitting skills. <laughs> you know um, what? You're very right about that. It's a good. You you have to you get good at acting quickly at the job centre better than at any acting school, I would say. Oh, tell me about it. I mean, you know, obviously it, it, it's been a while since you've uh, been to the job centre, but, I mean, uh, I mean, this is about as honest as it gets. Um, you know, you'd, I'd be on the bus going there that day, filling in the job book, just making up absolute shit, but, like, because I was on the bus, it would, you know, they'd go over speed bumps and stuff, so it looked like I'd just written it, you know, sat on a washing <laughs> right, machine yeah. like, it was like the yeah. worst writing in the world and uh, you know just uh, god some of the things I would make up um, <laughs> just you know yeah. like uh, yeah, I would go in a suit pretending I had a job interview that day etc <laughs> yeah it gets it's sort of like it became, it became more of an effort to do all of that than it would be to just work a normal job isn't it did oh, you find absolutely, that absolutely oh, the night before was just stressful because I yeah, know um, and it got to the point now. I mean, it's it's crazy how it's uh, sort of changed now that you there's something called the universal job match where you, you you basically look for jobs online and you just type it all in online. That's so easy because they don't chase it up, and a lot of the jobs don't lead to like even an actual website half the time. It's so it, it, they need to sort themselves out really, but it's so it's so easy to play that system. And, and they don't they do, they don't know how good they've got it now. The people signing on back in our <laughs> day, we had to really work for it. it you know, this is going to become the first podcast that's ever played in court for the <laughs> when people find out about this. 
And that's the thing, I'm currently, um, you know, the main uh, sort of theme behind this podcast is my self-employment. It took me 10 years to decide that I could go self-employed. You know, and I've got degrees, I've got a degree in production, I've got a degree in teaching as well, but um, it's, it's really a case of just like, dropping everything and at 30 doing that is probably you know insane um but it, i don't know i don't know where i was going with that again <laughs> oh yeah the well, the working tax credit most people probably would say it's insane but i mean look at who you're speaking to <laughs> i felt that did you did you go did you did you eventually go self-employed at any point oh. well sort of because it was the weirdest things that resulted in money i'd sort of do something that i felt was really really clever and really good nobody would care <laughs> then there was like a, a sort of clip that i put out and it would get the most views and then all of a sudden a mobile phone company um got in contact with me and wanted to sell my clips and so i got a bit of income from that mm-hmm. and then i there was this deal that i got from new york uh tv and i'm obviously english but i've always lived here in uh england and so i was sort of doing it over the internet where i was sending clips but they were showing it on on new york tv over there and so i mean i suppose you would say that it was self-employed but i never officially went self-employed because it would get in the way of that crucial guaranteed money which was signing off (laughs) oh yeah tell me about it i I, um i'm not going to go too much into this but i sort of i went self-employed last year and because i'm an artist and the work isn't remunerative um it's dragged on for a year and you know i had a tribunal last week and they've uh they've put (laughs) they've uh, postponed it for another six weeks (laughs) like i should probably have done that to be fair i was gonna say i probably should have done some video blog about that but it wouldn't have been funny (laughs) in the slightest or um, just you crying in a corner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, might as well be. I mean, you know, oh god. So I mean, a lot of the things that I'm doing are kind of out of necessity. I mean, this podcast has been amazing, and I've got sponsors for it. And uh, you know, I've decided. You know, you just have to. You kind of have to take. I mean, you know, without getting into technology too much, it's more the advantages that technology offers. But a lot of people are doing it, so it's harder to stand out, sort of thing. So I mean, you know, like stuff like Kickstarter and um, you know a lot of the social media platforms. I mean, did you ever consider using sort of uh, crowdfunding, or was that just not a thing? That no, would... I didn't. No, I didn't really. I mean, it. I always looked at want. I always sort of turned to um, creative solutions to try to overcome any financial difficulties which is another theme of the film you know the budget for the film was 47 pounds i'm sorry i'm really <laughs> proud of that you know yeah if you look on imdb the internet movie movie database they've got that on there that the budget was 47 pounds which i don't think that there's anything on there that has a lower budget but i'm proud of it you see because i sort of did it all myself i've made it very difficult for myself because over the course of the 20 years there's not i've never done anything that i didn't want to do so I haven't gone the usual routes. I haven't gone to any uh, sort of comedy classes, which I think is probably fairly obvious. Um, <laughs> and I haven't gone to like any filmmaking classes. But my hundred pound camera took me from editing in my room to the red carpet, literally back in February. Yeah. And so I've gone the long way round. Um, and I've also answered a question that he didn't ask. I've forgotten what was asked. Sorry. <laughs> oh no, it was is about. Um crowdfunding and stuff like that i mean i think 
anyone can do it. I mean, they don't even just have Kickstarter. They have GoFundMe where people can just be like, oh, I want to go on holiday next year if anyone wants to give me money for that. And it's just like, I don't know how I feel about that. But at the same time, I'm like, God, if you can it's raise... mental. I, I know, and part of me is like, God, if someone can raise money to go on holiday, good on them. I mean, you know, people are fools if they want to give money towards something like that. But, um, I mean, with the... Uh, I, I think... I mean, if you don't mind me asking, how old are you? 31. 31. You're just one year older than me. Um, yeah. So you started quite young. But um, it, it's kind of it's kind of a weird thing that we probably remember the first time we went on the internet. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think that because we've ex- we really have experienced like nothing to where it is now, sort of thing. And I mean, you know, it's not even nothing because we probably we won't probably thinking oh i know what i need in my life the internet you know before it started sort of thing um i just think there's a different mindset with like young artists now that it there are like i say there are so many more opportunities available but everyone is trying to do it as well so you know the fact that you did go the long way around is obviously to your benefit because you're probably going to be the last of your kind really who has started something you know when technology was in its infancy, internet technology, and, you know, to where it is now sort of thing. I know exactly what you mean about our generation, because really we've gone from having uh, none of these platforms to suddenly having all of these platforms at our disposal. So, I mean, there's a lot of appreciation from our generation about what we've had, whereas all the new artists, as you say, um, there's so many on the internet to the point where it is really, really difficult to stand out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. I mean, over the over the course of the, um, I mean, twenty years. I mean, it, it's kind of it's easy to say it without you, you know you have to kind of sit and think that twenty years is insane, really. Like to you know with the amount of uh, changing that you do as a person. Um, did you find yourself um, answering your own questions and sort of like coming to different conclusions, you know, on camera as time went on? And has that did that serve as part of the narrative to the film that you sort of, you know, uh, I don't want to say found yourself, but sort of, you know, um, were really able to, you know, just come to some conclusions and stuff like that? Yes, it did. I mean, really, I went into therapy in front of the world. Uh, I mean, that's what the poster says, but yeah. really, in reality, I went to therapy in front of seven people on YouTube, probably. <laughs> but um, no, it was like, uh, as you say, sort of the video blogs were sort of counseling sessions with myself yeah um because as i was talking i sort of could open up in front of the camera uh because i knew that well at the time i thought i knew that they were just sort of for me the tech you know i've got the tapes i've got them for myself and i'll share the funny stuff with my family but as i came to make the film all of this deep stuff i could put in as well you know all of a sudden so at the time i was opening up the i didn't ever think that it would be in a film that's playing at a theater it's absolutely crackers yeah I hope everyone's enjoying my interview with Ed's surname. I'll be back in a jiffy. Are you ready for this? Sugar plums in your head? If you are looking at exploring your own unique and individual style, come into your worlds through Geordie's Tattoo Studio. Spotlight a significant aspect of your own self. We can help fuel your thoughts with our ideas, give you options, and then we do the rest. Find us at www.geordiestattoo.com. My band, Toxic Melons, are streaming a gig next week on stageit.com. Visit facebook.com forward slash toxicmelons for all info. 
We will be performing the gig at Nemix, Newcastle's premier recording, rehearsal and performance space. They have rooms full of state-of-the-art equipment supplied by PMT Newcastle. They are competitively priced and they have one of the cutest dogs you will ever meet. They also have a PS2 so you can chill out during those long sessions. They even offer you a free cup of coffee or tea. We can't wait to stream our gig from Nemix, as we know it'll be of the highest quality, as is all of their services. Find them at facebook.com forward slash Nemix, that's N-E-M-I-X, and they are situated at 59 to 61 Blandford Square, Newcastle upon Tyne. And now, back to the shoe! Well, um, because, you, you know, you started in 1995 sort of recording yourself, and you... I assume became aware of social media platforms as they were coming up, like MySpace, etc. Uh, did you fully take advantage of them at the time? Um, because I think one of the main, you know, platforms for creativity has been YouTube. So did you um, start uploading stuff immediately? And you know, were you shocked about you know? Because you, you, on uh, on the trailer, you you, you see some <laughs> some not quite uh, positive feedback that you got from some of the stuff that you uploaded. So was that sort of a, a, a I don't know, a, a kick up the arse or a motivating factor to continue or did it make you want to give up when you were getting this immediate feedback? Or um, Well, I didn't immediately upload. When I heard about YouTube, I was actually annoyed because I thought, oh, here's a lot of other people that are going to be doing similar, which really they weren't because it wasn't the vibe of the project. But I deliberately stayed away from it for the longest possible time. So mm. YouTube came out in 2005, I believe. Yeah. I didn't upload until like, like three or four years later um, when I finally realized I better get on it, you know. Um, but no, I deliberately tried to stay away because I didn't want to be like everyone else. I wanted to carry on doing my own thing. Um, and then when I uploaded the, the weekly web show, yeah, I did get, I got a lot of good feedback and then I got a lot of bad feedback um, as well. And I would, I don't really, I'm not really motivated by bad feedback. I'm not one of these people that goes, oh, I'm going to prove it. I'm going to show them because, like, I think that's a waste of life. Yeah. Um, but I'm still stubborn in pursuing my own dreams because that's what I want to do for me, you know. Yeah. But really, really, the negative things just really get you down, to be honest. I don't think anyone admits this sort of thing. You know, if you get, like, a bad comment, people try to say, oh, I don't care about that, or they laugh it off. But really, it isn't nice to get it. It really isn't nice to get it. I don't mind admitting that. It isn't nice. Oh, yeah, I mean, it, it's almost like our currency, really, because we receive some kind of feedback, <laughs> whether, well, you know, some kind of feedback, whether positive or negative, a lot of the time. And we certainly get that more regularly than any kind of money. So, like, sort of. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I, I don't think that sort of people realize how. Um, you know, uh, how much of an effect they have on people when they just say something uh, negative. And I think, I mean, I think it was Kevin Smith, and I'm sure it was, who was just like, you know, if you have a friend who's an artist or something, I think you should you know, just say something supportive, just anything. Because, you know, I think that an artist really takes any, you know, takes that stuff to you know, to heart, and uh, it can be a motivating factor. No, and, and I'm not saying that uh, there should be any kind of, you know, delusion going on um i mean at, at any point i mean did a lot of people think that you were delusional or you know, yeah yeah i think so i mean it, they might be right you know really i mean uh, if you look at a lot of the things that that i have done over the years 
sort of been on a learning curve where I'm more realistic now. But I can't regret anything really overall because it's what the project wouldn't exist without me being a complete nut job. You know what I mean? <laughs> like so. So I mean, I, I've made something out of it now where I've looked at all of that. I've sort of in the narrative of the film, I'm looking at myself thinking, why am I doing this? Why would somebody want? to make a room full of strangers laugh what would possess somebody to do that at all let alone dedicate their life yeah. to it um so yeah i mean it's a very misunderstood thing to be honest like um it's beyond me trying to avoid it now for the sake of good publicity it, a lot of people do misunderstand what it is i think that if you watch the film you'd really get it and you'd really relate to a lot of it yeah um but if if people sort of don't understand what we've been chatting about so far i don't want them to come i don't want them to come along and there's a way that i can test it the opening scene of the film is a you know how opening scenes of films have like the copyright saying you can't film this film in the cinema yeah. you know mine starts with footage of me actually filming that screen in the <laughs> cinema and if that sets the tone and if people don't get that i'm not saying they have to laugh yeah if they don't if they miss it they're gonna miss all of it so I mean, at what point when you were filming did it become um, not just you aspiring to be a stand-up, and you know, what, at what point did it become sort of looking at uh, you know the the sac the sacrifice of pursuing artistic ambition, and you know, looking at what makes a success? Like, did that come a bit later on, or was that always kind of the uh, always the aim? No, I think it came a bit later on. I think when, you know, if you have a good, like, uh, successes with the project, like I sort of put a, a video out, it got covered by The Sun in a positive way, The Sun newspaper. Yeah. And on, on a day like that, I'd be all happy, you know, talking with my family and thinking, oh, this project's great. And then I put another thing out and it got covered by The Sun newspaper in a negative way. Okay. And it's things like that. Um, make you sit back and think well you know it's it's not all about money but I'm doing this at the expense of any money <laughs> and I, I want a family and I'm putting my life on hold and it's affecting my family and so I think just various incidents like that that cropped up one after another made me just gradually go into it being more introspective mm -hmm. well was it was it always yeah. meant to be a 20 year project or was there a um, was there an end goal inside in regards to filming this stuff and turning it into an actual film? No, there really wasn't. Um, I wanted it to be that I shared my family with the world in a sort of you've been you've been framed with a narrative sort of way. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, it, the reason that it became twenty four seven filming was because every time I turn the camera off, something really funny would happen. You know, like my my dad was nearly killed by a firework, and it's a real shame I didn't film that. And so, like, um, okay. I it, it just became easier. <laughs> it just became easier for me to say, well, "I'm going to film this all the time." And because um, I'm very bored at school, so taking the camera into school it just caused it caused a lot of trouble. Like, I nearly got expelled. Well, I officially I I was expelled, but I didn't want to tell my parents, so I just turned up at school the next day and just carried on like nothing had happened. No one ever mentioned it. Very bizarre. Yeah. Um but uh, I filmed lots of stuff at school and that was just to sort of share with with people at school. Um but obviously like years years later when I thought, well, I'm not getting where's the millions? They're not in my bank account at the yeah. moment. 
has this been a waste of time? Actually, no, because I've filmed so much <laughs> at my disposal. I can look at uh, I can look at the sacrifice of what it's like to follow a dream. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> what was the most? I, I I don't want you to give too much away about the movie. Um, was what was the most sort of socially awkward uh, moment that you had with the camera? To the point um, where, where to the point where it was like. You, there really shouldn't be a camera here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there is one that springs to mind. Okay, but, uh, but again, I don't want you to give it away in the movie, if it's in the movie. It, it, uh, none of the movie is malicious. No, nothing I've ever done is intended to be malicious. No. But something happened by accident that ended up being uh, very awkward, to okay. answer your question. But it's not, it's not in the film. I mean, we could talk all day about stuff that isn't in the film. Yeah. It, the film's just under two hours and it's like from 20 years this isn't funny though this is yeah is that i i um because i'm filming all the time because i was filming all the time i had to um keep an eye out and it becomes second nature for me to look out for situations that would be uh, that would make sort of a more lively incident on camera so if i was for instance if i had a choice between walking down a street that's quiet or walking down a street that was like full of um drunks out on a stag night Mm-hmm. I'd go down that street, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, over, uh, over that time, did people become more aware of there being a camera there? Because, obviously, doing it in the mid-90s may have been a bit of a weird thing, but now everyone's got their camera out all the time. Yeah, I mean, I, I was the first that did of the generation that could. So, at the time, years ago, uh, my family went from, you know, really hating it, hating the intrusion into their lives, to sort of begrudgingly accepting it to genuinely accepting it to actively helping it i think as they saw that i was doing it all in a constructive manner mm. um, and people at school like the kids at school they liked it because it's just sort of kids messing around isn't it yeah um, but in the real world it really got in the way i mean that's what <laughs> that, i that, that's why i ended up having to sign on uh, but also the signing on it was sort of like a um a self-fulfilling thing if that's i'm not sure if that's quite the way to explain it but when i was signing on it solved problem that i was worried about of having to get a job do you know what i mean yeah because i didn't have to i didn't have a job so i was able to have all of my time dedicated to this project Mm. oh yeah totally i mean i think they would be fools if they just assumed that everyone who was signing on is actually legit looking for work (laughs) um yeah i mean i think in they probably didn't suspect that i was doing what i was doing as well (laughs) (laughs) so i mean during that time though were you looking for you know when you were signing on if i don't know a a director position i I know you never get that at the job center but like if a you know any work within the area that you were interested in because i know you did actual you know comedy based work but if there was any sort of you know film (coughs) uh, based work would you have uh, taken that job as well no not really not any film based because there was an opportunity once where there was uh, my friend was an extra in some films and he was giving me the contact details and he, he couldn't understand why i wasn't going for it it's because it wasn't my creation you know okay. what i mean there's no to me there's sort of nothing there would be no satisfaction in doing something that someone else has created so i really have made it difficult for myself <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> but i mean that's what that's what the whole thing was you know so um no, not really. I can say, uh, and again, this is totally going to be played in court. <laughs> I was 
signing on for the money and I was not looking for a job at all. I was only looking for my own opportunities, you know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, I mean, within uh, regards to you help putting the film together did you edit everything yourself or did you have to bring in people at that point no i i taught myself how to edit it was out of a necessity because when i wanted to start sharing it with um producers and all of that yeah i i had to put it together myself because i didn't have any money but then i realized that i was the only person that could do it right. um, really because i'm the one that knew i'm the one that knew the, the project inside night so um, I taught myself how to edit. That's one of the things I'm most proud of is that I taught myself and managed to insanely walk on a red carpet at a film, <laughs> the London Film Awards in February. Yeah, that's the same project that saw that saw me pour sugar on my head. <laughs> the same project that saw me sleep in a bed shop with nothing on. You know, it's absolutely crackers. Yeah, um, and and you do. If anyone sees the trailer, you do uh, have your nan wipe your ass. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but in my defence, it was as part of a narrative. <laughs> how, how, do, how do I finish that sentence? Um, yeah. <laughs> so in my defence, it, uh, it was part of a narrative because somebody, one of the one of the haters, I believe they called, um, on the internet, uh-huh. said, you know, oh, this guy hasn't grown up, which is true. Um, I bet he needs someone to wipe his ass, which isn't true, although it did make a good show. <laughs> I did it in response to that, you know. I tried to make the I tried to make the negative comments work for me. Yeah, I, I just love the uh, <laughs> I love the clip of you, Nan, just not understanding what you were asking for. Like, I, yeah, uh, did she just assume that she you want her to wipe the dog's ass? I think at one point. Oh, I I don't know what's going through. <laughs> I mean, it, she doesn't know, she doesn't know what I'm on about if I'm asking for a cup of tea, let alone that. <laughs> so I mean, uh, but what I have to say is that. Um, from my experience, when people hear that that's that that's happened, that that's in the trailer, mm-hmm. people go, "Oh my god, I'm not going to watch the trailer." But I implore you to please search for the trailer. It's Ed Surname unsolicited material trailer on YouTube. Uh, I'll be putting uh, the link. I'll put the link yeah. in the show as well. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't you think like um, if you'd have had that described to you, you might have been put off watching it. But when you watch it, it's just funny. It's not like <laughs> disgusting or anything like that. It's because it's my nan that makes it funny, isn't it? Yeah, and I think the, you know, uh, the, it, well, it's, you know, it obviously it's funny, but it's also that sort of, you know, humor that makes you feel awkward where you can't help but laugh, sort of. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, the way that you would laugh at like two girls, one cup. I don't think anyone was like really disgusted really by it. <laughs> I think people just find it hilarious. Well, it's absolutely crackers, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And the, th- the thing is, though, as well, you weren't trying to outdo anyone or try to outshock people or anything like that. It is within the narrative of the film, and I think it's just, you know, it. it I think it goes towards the uh, the whole uh, the genuineness of it that you are probably genuinely losing your mind at parts in parts of the <laughs> parts of the film. Oh, definitely, <laughs> definitely. My wife, I said to my wife, <laughs> I said to my wife, "Can I have a genuine comment for the poster?" Uh, and she said it's it's one man's descent into madness <laughs> and i had to sort of step i was sort of offended at first and i, and I thought well, how could i be i mean it's true but yeah. at the same time it's not this is a good time to try and explain this is one of the big misconceptions or misunderstandings about it yeah it's a good time for me to explain it which is that yes i have lost my mind to an extent but like <laughs> realistically like obviously i haven't because i've been capable of putting it all together and it's all within the narrative and it's all very sort of closely put together yeah so like um i showed the film 
to I used to think I was my own worst critic until I showed it to a film <laughs> until I showed it to a film critic in Edinburgh Edinburgh it's uh, you know the Edinburgh fringe festival oh yeah 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 one of the um judges there or whatever they are um I showed it to them just out of interest yeah and they said I think everybody is funny in the film except you I don't like you uh, <laughs> and I think that you're you know you're not you're not able to put anything funny together and what I what I have to sort of say in response to that is other people's comedy is standing on a stage telling a joke into a microphone yeah, yeah. that's been done if you laugh at any point in this film even if it's words coming out of someone else's mouth it's it's still my comedy that it's that didn't happen by accident that's me yeah right and that's a misconception because people say oh so it's scripted well no it isn't it is my real life yeah. And people say, oh, right, so it's your real life, so you can't take credit for anything funny in it. Well, no, but I, I'm the one that sort of pulled it out and put it into a narrative and created those situations. I know that asking my nan is <laughs> funnier than asking my dad, and I know that asking my dad to cut a tree with, whilst wearing pink boxing gloves <laughs> is funnier than asking my nan to do it. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, that would be yeah. like, you know, James Cameron, uh, he's not able to take credit for Titanic because it was based off a true story. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like so I mean with you know you you are being um you're being screened at uh, the London Fringe uh, sorry Camden Fringe. Um are, th are there any immediate plans to tour it or cuz I'm I'm dying to see it. Um but I'm not, I'm not able to make it down because uh, you know I'm broke broke musician. <laughs> um yes, yes. so I mean uh, are there plans to tour it around? Are there plans to you know I, I I would think that you are looking for distribution for the film. Um what what are your media plans? There's a few things to say there. I have been looking for distribution, but they've said they've made it quite clear that to get um a certification from the BBFC, I think it's called about 10 things would have to be cut. <laughs> a, I don't like things being cut. Yeah. And B, it would really ruin it would it would ruin the whole thing. It would be torn to shreds, you know. It has to be it has to exist as it exists. Well, I'd say I never really understand that. I mean, cuz I I assume it will get it would get an 18 certificate, but you would think the more that's in it would contribute towards it being an 18 or did i mean is the aim for it to be a 15 so more people can watch it or oh no no that just to be clear they mean for it to be released at all something oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> right um uh so i don't know if that's a um a plus point for the poster or not but the thing is um my immediate plans really are to tour it around the london comedy clubs because i've spoken with some comedy clubs mm. and there's been interest in them doing it um, say if they do a comedy night every week, one of the nights would be screening my film. So they benefit off of that sort of unique project in their club. And I benefit off of them having contacts and having sort of advertisers set up and all of that. Yeah. So really, it's not going to be sort of toured around the planet or anything. Uh, but the immediate idea is to do it around the London comedy clubs. And um, yeah, that's the immediate thing. Cool. Well, I'll certainly be making an effort to come down sometime this year to see it. Because, um, like I said, I don't think I've ever been so... Well, I mean, it, it really helps that I connect with it. And I think a lot of people I know who are... You know, I've, I think I'm probably in a more extreme situation than, than a lot of my friends because they haven't just, you know, quit their jobs, etc., and given up any idea of having some kind of structured life to be able to, 
you know, but the thing is as well, they have jobs, so that means they can fund what they wanted to. But to me, then it doesn't, it's not a full-time thing. It, uh, to me, it's just a hobby at that point. And, you know, I think that's one of the bits of feedback that I get as well. It's like, oh, you could just get a job and do this on the side. And it's like, I really can't. Like, I really want to see if I can just do this sort of thing. Yeah, well, there's that. And also I can speak on it that the seven years when I didn't have a job at all, like any any sort of commitment whatsoever, yeah. I, got the mo- I got the most done. Yeah. And the rest of it, when I had sort of comedy commitments and all that, obviously it's part of the project, but it, it really does get in the way. So it's true what you say. Like, they can, they can say... Um, if you got a job, you'd be able to pursue all these other opportunities and you'd have money to do this, that, and the other. But that's that's coming from the mind of someone who's never wanted to do anything artistic. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I kind of understand it because when I had a full-time job, you know, I valued my free time probably more, uh, you know, I, it was more precious to me. So I was like, look, right, I'm going to be at work at 8 o'clock in the morning. I've got to spend at least these four hours to do something. And because, you know, as a self-employed person, I'm a terrible boss. You know, <laughs> yeah, I work from my room. I can wake up at any point I want. And, you know, I'll I'll do the most minimal amount of work and then reward myself with, like, a big bowl of ice cream. And, you know, like when I do, like, the, the, the uh, when I do the wraparounds for the show, there could be, like, a five-hour gap between one sentence and the next because I've decided to do, like, you know, <laughs> a million other things. So I, I am, I'm terrible at time management, if nothing else. But um, yeah, I, I just think you have to, you know, um, in my opinion, if you're going to go for it, you have to go for it all the way. Otherwise, it's not going to work. But at the same time, I do. You know, I've had previous guests like there's a guy called Liam Reagan who um, who has a full time job, but he also made a horror film, and that horror film has been screened all over the place, like a Cannes Film Festival, and he's won awards within the horror genre and stuff. So it can be done. Um, I just think you know, there's I think just different people have different mindsets, really, and we are of a very similar mindset, which is, I think is why I'm going to very much enjoy the film. Yeah, I mean, I didn't realise that you were of that this much of a similar mindset before I came on the podcast. So that's actually been really good because, um, yeah, so I think it would relate to a lot of it in the film. Well, yeah, we we basically we basically get along and uh, you know have similar mindsets. And uh, you know, I, you probably uh, took on more than you you know uh, might have thought because I'll probably come to you with like you know questions and stuff and uh, you may be my uh, therapist uh, going forward whenever I need it but um... I welcome that completely you feel free <laughs> please feel free I really appreciate it so the film um, unsolicited material is going to be shown at the Camden Fridge Festival um, as, yeah yeah as long as you uh, you know bring a uh, balaclava and some gloves um, and don't mind being near some fridges um, yeah <laughs> uh, in yeah. in August so uh, where specifically can they see it okay the etc theatre in Camden London planet Earth uh, the 12th <laughs> 13th and 14th of August at noon mm-hmm. um, and the tickets are available from camdenfringe.com or etc theatre.com Awesome. All links will be all links will be posted underneath the show and on the uh, Pablo's Pop and Podcast Facebook page. Um, so yes, Ed, I want to thank you for you know finding me for a start. Like uh, that's a question. How did you find me? Because like I usually am a pain in the ass asking people to be on the show, and you're the first person uh, with you know a legit project who has like contacted me. Um, so yeah, how did you find me? Out of interest, I read about. It being nominated for a podcast award, I think. 
Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, it, it is true. It is true. Um, yeah. I didn't win, bastards. Um, <laughs> but it's okay. Um, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. No, no, absolutely. So I don't, I don't, I don't, the thing is, right, it's weird because if, if say that you did win, yeah. that, that means that the panel of a few people out of the 7 billion people that are on the earth yeah. just sort of decided something on that day. So why should it be the gauge of success? I never understood awards, ever. See, I'm, I'm kind of the, I was kind of the other way with it because the first um, round of voting was uh, Facebook votes. And I think anyone with, you know, luckily I've, I think I've got enough of a social media reach that I can get people to vote. So then I got through to the next round and it was partly a Twitter vote and partly panel's decision, which I kind of, I kind of liked a bit more because I think anyone can get enough votes if they push hard enough, sort of thing. Um, I, I don't know, I, but obviously I, I'm not ungrateful for people voting because they enjoy the podcast. Um, but I don't know, it, it was I, I don't know what they based it off because I think that I think the podcast is getting better. You know, I always say that it's held together by sticky tape, but yeah, I think you know. Um, by having great guests such as yourself, um, you know, I've, I think that I'm I'm not a bad host, and you know, it provides a. I'm able to get some well-known names, but in ret- you know, in return for that, I'm also able to use those names to then help friends or whatever, you know, play one of their songs on a show with a well-known name, so then it gets them some legit exposure and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I'm just I'm you know. The, the the podcast award thing, you know, it if this is, you know, specifically resulted in this interview, then I'm more than grateful. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think I've got anything else to add to that. I'm just really, well, gl- I'm just really glad that you found the show. Thank you. Well, I, I didn't realize any of that when I was slagging off award ceremonies. What I was really <laughs> doing was sort of, what I was just reading off. Uh, my excuse for not winning anything in February, my best non-bitter point. <laughs> yeah, oh, totally. I mean, you know, if you if you win the award, then it's the greatest thing in the world. But if you don't win the award, it's just like, ah, who needs an award, you know? Um... Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, but if I'd have won that award, I would never have shut up about it ever again. It would have been the award-winning Pablo's Pop and Podcast, and, uh, you know, I would have... I wouldn't have even took a picture of me with the award. I would have just photoshopped an award into, like, the same picture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just make it as awkward as possible, but um, yes. Yeah, so, um, like I say, links are below the show, and uh, links will be on the Pablo's Pop and Podcast Facebook uh, page. And this has been an incredibly fun interview, and um, I would love to have you back on the show, you know, at some point, you know, because it, it seems like things are, you know, moving forward for you, and you know, if. You know, obviously, if you become like the world's most famous director, then you know, remember that you've been on the show, and then come back and then give me a few more listens. Yes, uh, <laughs> that would be awesome. Thank you. I think, in closing, I'd like to answer two questions that I realised I didn't answer. First of all, you said, "What's the most awkward on-camera moment?" Yes, and I think it might be now if we're not doing just an audio call. If we're doing a video call on Skype, can you see me on the bed wearing just boxer shorts? <laughs> No, I can't see that, but uh, I'm, right. I'm, okay, I'm currently rubbing myself in Marmite, so it's all good. <laughs> okay. And then um, the second question, you said, you know, have I sort of been honest in the film and sort of uh, depicted myself in a bad light? Mm-hmm. And the answer is yes. I come across like a total prick. Go and see it. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't think of a more, uh, <laughs> you know, a more sellable uh, reason to go and see some. That's the thing, though. People love to be offended. 
people love to hate someone. That's get that's so. music to my ears. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the internet now, isn't it? You don't see many good comments. It's mainly you know people go on just to be negative now. You know, there's now an unlike button I think on Facebook, or there's an angry face sort of thing, and you know people have taken full advantage of that. So, um, you know. if you want to be offended within the structure of a narrative, then go and see my film. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. That's again. You, you've you come up with better lines to sum up the film than I ever could. So I think we'll uh, we'll leave it at that. And uh, good luck with the film. And uh, you know you've certainly deserved it because twenty years of uh, you know getting to this point is um, you know nothing to be sniffed at. Certainly. So thank you again for being on the show. Thank you very much. Thanks to Ed. That was a fun interview. Um, when we, because uh, I turned the camera on to take a screenshot of me and Ed, uh, and he saw my entire, you know, my massive wrestling collection. Uh, turns out he's a wrestling fan. Turns out he was actually trained by a wrestler as well, well-known wrestler. I don't know if I can get too much into that, um, but um, we will be chatting about that a bit more, and hopefully, part two of the interview will come uh, about maybe stuff that wasn't involved in the film. Um, but we'll see, we'll see. Um, but it was a fun interview, and I hope I do hope everyone enjoyed it, and uh, you know is inspired and and motivated by it as well. Um, so yeah, next week's guest again. At the moment, I'm still um, a little bit. Uh, behind with having interviews sort of backed up so you know I can announce the next week's guest um, <coughs> <pardon me> <coughs> sorry I'm just uh, just choking don't mind me um, so yeah but I, I do have some great guests lined up and some uh, some particularly big names who I'm uh, pursuing at the moment and hopefully you know I'm still in the process of uh, you know hearing back I mean I've, I've we've opened lines of communication or me and their people have and hopefully that'll be something that's um you know some shows that are happening quite soon um the imperial drag second episode that should be happening in a couple of weeks um i'm still taking questions from it i won't be taking questions on the jellyfish page joining the fan page you have to join the pablo's pop and podcast page um because i need to see traffic going through that page basically um i mean it I, I love how successful the jellyfish page is. I hate that it's probably the most successful thing that I have that I can't make any money from whatsoever. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's always the way. But, you know, I love the band and, you know, it is for the love of jellyfish. Um, but at the same time, you know, like I say, I'm hoping that, you know, people on the page will check out uh, the EP um, because it is, it's made by a jellyfish fan for jellyfish fans. I can't think of anything more directly marketed towards someone. So, um, yes, um, I hope everyone's having a good week. I'm going to buy some ice cream and just be miserable for a little bit, I think. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, the, you know, the EU results... Uh, just some things that are going on in my life. Hopefully next week will be. You know, it, it could always be worse, but hopefully next week will actually be a bit better. <laughs> okay, talk soon. See you next week. Bye. Goodbye. 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 Goodbye.